while you're already standing, we'll just go straight to the Word this morning. If you would get your Bibles out and go right to Revelation chapter 3, we're going to start with verse number 1. Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse number 1. We have this week and next week, and then we will move on to something else. Um, And uh, I'm excited. I feel like this season... uh, meaning this year the Lord's really laid it on my heart to really walk through a lot of principles uh, in the Scripture. Not to say that there won't be times of break from that to be more of a uh, just thus saith the Lord prophetic type of moment on a Sunday, but I think sometimes we rely so heavy on the the prophetic declaration that we uh, that we so desire because it's so powerful in that moment, we neglect the power that is just in the principles and teachings of the Word of God. Amen. And so sometimes I think we need to come back to the Word on a fundamental, basic level and, and just really see what, what God teaches us and how we should live because the Bible tells us that His Word is like a mirror. And if we read it and walk away and don't do it, we are, we are not really being transformed and, and we are missing out on the glory that God has for us in our life. So uh, just uh, keep that in your mind this year and, and be in prayer that God would open up your heart to hear uh, from him as we dive in and hit a lot of these things. Uh, so Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, this is what the word says. Write to the angel of the church in Sardis, thus says the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Be alert and strengthen what remains, which is about to die. For I have not found your works complete before my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you are not alert, I will come like a thief, and you have no idea at what hour I will come upon you. But you have a few people in Sardis who, uh, who are not defiled in their clothes, and they will walk with me in white because they are worthy. In the same way, the one who conquers will be dressed in white clothes, and I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and before his angels. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Heavenly Father, I pray that you just add your blessing to your word once again. Speak to our hearts and our minds. Let us be transformed by your word today. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated this morning. As we uh, have gone through this, I, I again, I just want to remind all of us that as we go through these churches, you know, we're looking at this in, on really two different levels. Um, mostly, I want us to look at it on an individual level because it doesn't matter if we look at it as a group because what happens is, is when you start looking at things and evaluating the overall group, congregation of people, uh, what really happens is then you start pointing fingers at everybody else and saying, well, we look like this because of this person or that person. In reality, we got to look at ourselves and fix our own mess first. We can't take the speck out of somebody else's eye until we deal with the plank that's in our own. And so primarily, I want us to really look at these scriptures and look at ourselves Hold up the word like a mirror, like I mentioned earlier, and let us evaluate our hearts, our lives, and and understand that we have things in our own individual lives that need to change for us to look like the church that Jesus wants us to be. 
And as our individual lives line up with his word and fall into place, what we will see happen is as a group and as a congregation, we will all look the same. We will all look like his word wants us to look. And that is the goal of this whole series, this whole journey that we have been taken through uh, what I like to jokingly call the scary book of the Bible, the book that a lot of people have admittedly told me they have skipped before. Uh, And so with that, when we dive into this, we need to take this and we need to look at it like it's a mirror. And although it can be scary, the scary part of it is only really scary if we fail to repent and look like the Word. Amen? It's not scary when you walk in obedience because you don't have to worry about the consequence of disobedience. So when we come to this church here this week, what we find is the very opening statement is, to this church is, I know your works, which we've talked about in a previous week. That's a scary statement all in and of itself. The fact that God knows our works. And it's funny that sometimes I think we really even unconsciously think that we are hiding stuff from God, that he doesn't really pay attention to all the things that we do in our lives. But in reality, he knows every little bit of it. And we we will do things to justify those things that we try to keep in secret. We will do things and and make excuses, and and we will come up with all these ways to try to hide it. But the reality of it is, is this church couldn't hide it, and neither could we. And I think sometimes we even fool ourselves into thinking the works that are not lined up with God's Word are actually good because things seem to be good. And, And I think that's really what has happened with this church here in Sardis is, is, is they have a reputation for being alive, but Jesus is telling them, I look a, a little deeper and I see that you're really dead. See, their reputation, the, the, the accolades, the reputation comes from recognition of other people. The reputation is all the good reports they've heard about the community uh, or from the community that they're in. That's where the reputation comes from. They, they hear the feedback of other people human, other men, other women, other people around this city that they're located in, they get this feedback, and and according to these people, they're doing it all right. And so in their own minds as a church and as a people, they've created this false reality that, well, because everybody else is telling us that we're doing so well, and we're doing it all right, and we look the part, we talk the part, we act the part, we do all of this, we must really be doing something right. But Jesus is looking at them, telling them, he's saying, the reputation according to other men, other people, is wonderful. You you do look like a thriving church. One commentary, as I was studying this, said, they look like the church with all the bells and whistles. They have it all going on. They got the top-notch programs. They have all of these things, but on on the surface it looks great. But really when you get underneath of it, there is no spiritual life to be seen. Basically saying it is a church that has become a mechanical, a, 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 over, a, a over-organized organization, and it's mechanical, it's robotic, and there, there's really no spiritual life to be found within its walls. They, they do everything right. They, they run all the greatest programs, have all the latest, greatest equipment and, 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 and tools and, and resources at, their tip, at the tips of their fingers, and they use them to a high level, and they do everything with excellence. But, but although all of those things are great and there's nothing sinful about those things, Jesus never really 
really condemn those things in and of themselves, but really the heart that lay underneath all those things, he said, is dead. It's good to have organization. It's good to have all these programs. But it's as if this church had had gotten so caught up in, in these things, had gotten so lost in just performing well that they lost the spiritual life that is supposed to be found. They've gotten so caught up in, in having walking the walk, the looking the part, and, and, and they got really caught up in, to keep it short and simple with you, they just got caught up in playing church. They were playing church without actually being church. They were going through the motions. They did all the right things, said all the right things. but really on the inside of what was going on within their walls, within their gatherings, within their people. It was just a hollow shell. It reminds me of uh, Jesus uh, condemning the Pharisees, and he called them whitewashed tombs, meaning the outside is so beautiful. You look so good. You can quote the Scriptures. Well, even Satan can quote Scripture. You, you can... You, you, you clean yourself up, you do the fasting, you do all the stuff, but your heart on the inside, he says, your whitewashed tombs, the outside is so beautiful, but yet the inside is full of death and decay. And so this church that looks so good had such a good reputation in its community. The, a, a person, if we're going to look at it on an individual level, a person who has such a good reputation. There are people that serve in ministry. There are people sitting in churches that are just in the seat and not even serving that seem like they are great, wonderful people. And you know what? They are great, wonderful people to some degree, but there is something missing in their life that God desires to see, and it's called the life of the Spirit within that person. And it's missing and it's lacking. And so Jesus looks at that situation and says, yeah, you got a good reputation with people, but there's something missing between you and I. It also reminds me of when Jesus says on the, on the day of judgment, many will come to me saying, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons? Did we not uh, perform works in your name? Did we not do all of those things? And he, he will look at them and say, away from me, for I never knew you. It, it's like this, this, this whole thing of like having the right appearance without the, the right soul attached, without the right spirit attached to it. It's a church that has become just a hollow shell of what God wants it to be. And that is a scary place to be. They can put on a good show. They have the appearance of life. But in reality, there's nothing happening. And and this is really a trap that is easy for anyone to fall into. See, we get moving with things, we start planning programs, and and even in our own personal lives, we start developing uh, uh, our own life, we start having careers, we start having all of these things, and, and, you know, we're still attending church, and we're we're still being a part of serving in different areas, and, but, but then it gets down to it, we're so wrapped up in all of these other things that we forget to really take care of our spirit and our soul, soul on a real, true, honest level, and what happens is, is, like this church, we just start going through the motions. It's Sunday. I go to church because I have programmed myself to go to church. 
not because my heart's desire is to be in his presence, to worship his name and to hear his word and to gather together with my brothers and sisters in Christ in unity to lift each other up, edify each other, pray for one another. It's, it's Sunday and that's just what I do. It's, it's a slow fade of what once was most likely started as an awesome, powerful ministry full of the Spirit, full of life, full of God moving and working in, in, the, in the hearts of these people of this church, slowly faded as they grew in their reputation. Now, what happens is when reputation comes is you have a, a temptation to really worry about maintaining that reputation. And so your work becomes going from maintaining your reputation of what God thinks of you, maintaining the mentality and the relationship and the spirit and, and all of the good things that happen between you and God, and your focus starts shifting to where, oh man, i, I got to make sure these people continue to look at me the way that they are saying they're looking at me now. i I, I got to keep up with this reputation. I, got, I have to live up to what they think. And then that temptation grows from just trying to keep up to now trying to expand that reputation, trying to escalate it and elevate it to a way to see how far it can really grow. And what happens is, is you almost become like your own idol in a way. Your reputation becomes something you worship and something you chase after. And, and, and rather than serving God in truth and honesty and in, in what He desires, you begin to serve your will over His will. And it's a slow fade to it to where all of a sudden what really matters goes from being full of life to just going through the motions to where you're not going to church because you love God. You're going to church because you have a reputation to maintain. You're not going to church because you really want to worship Him in spirit and in truth. You're going to church because you, you're expected to be there. And you're trying to maintain this reputation. And so you end up just going through the motions. And when we just go through the motions, we turn into hearers of the words rather than doers of the words of the word. You hear it all the time, you hear it every day, even if you're somebody who maintains the, the devotional time and prayer time. But again, even that can become going through the motions. You, you hear what is being preached on a Sunday and what happens is, is when what is being preached contradicts your ability to maintain your reputation, all of a sudden there's this battle that goes on within yourself that you don't want to forfeit the reputation you have with mankind and with people. So you reject doing the word for the sake of maintaining your reputation with people. That's what this church got stuck in. They got so stuck in maintaining this reputation that no matter what God was speaking to them, no matter what they heard from Him, they said, well, I got, if I do that, then they, they, these people may not like us as much as they used to. My reputation might be tarnished in the eyes of people. They may think I'm, I'm, I'm changing in a wrong way. And what if, what if we lose 
the following? What if we lose, in this case, the temptation of many churches is what if we start losing people? Listen, I understand everybody's got things that God is working on in their life. I understand that, so please hear my heart. But I have heard stories, and I've heard it from the mouths of ministers in churches that refuse to come against certain topics in society, whether it be drinking, whether it be homosexuality, whether it be the transgender stuff, whether it be uh, abortion, whether it be any of these things that you, you could p- fill in the blank. They refuse to come against it, and they will openly tell you, well, we can't do that. Do you have any idea how many people we would lose if we started talking about that? And they will use the the guise of, well, we'll just let God change their heart. And we'll let God work on them. But yet what I've found is a lot of times those same people are participating in those activities themselves. And then even if they're not, you now have to answer to God because Romans chapter 1 tells us that not only those who commit those sins are guilty, but even those who approve of those sins are guilty. And not that you do not, it's not that you don't love those people, because you do, and I do, but I love the truth because I know that the Bible says that when you know the truth, the truth sets you free, and these people have fallen into a trap that they don't even know they're in. It's, It's not that you're condemning them, you're trying to save them. But yet we have come to a place where the, the reputation and the standing in the community and, and the following that, that people have and, and even on a social media level, and it may even be uh, shrunk down to just the friends, the three or four friends in your group, the, the, the family that you cherish and that, that you're so worried about losing them and what they think about you that you will not stand on truth that you will not stand for what is right. And I'm not saying you always have to go picking a fight with everybody. Because there, you, can, you can go looking for a fight and you're not preaching the truth in love. You just want to fight. But what I'm telling you today is, is what happens is, is we will compromise on what God's Word says to preserve our reputation, what people think about us. Because we, we won't speak up when something's going wrong and say, listen, I'm not going to participate in that. We won't speak up because we're worried about what they'll say about us. And this church, I believe, fell into that trap. The funny thing is, is we know that they have heard the truth and know the truth because in uh, verse number 3 that we read, Jesus even tells them to remember then what you have received and heard. They've heard from God. It's not as if they've been ignorant. They've just chose to disregard it. And finally, how we end up falling into this trap, it's a theme that I believe has just been throughout a lot of these churches that that and that we've talked about so far that have had these issues that have had these rebukes from God is compromise. And it goes hand in hand with the hearing and the doing of the word like we just talked about. And one, one of the scholars that wrote about this church and through his studies that I read about as I was studying for this said, 
a likely reason the church was not being persecuted. This was a church that was not under persecution. The, the reason the church had such a good reputation was because they looked like the world they lived in. They, they were so much like everybody else that they're really, on the surface, it looked like a church and it looked different, but if you really evaluated and took a spiritual inventory of the lives of the people that were part of that church, there was no difference between them and the world. And when we live in that trap, we miss out on the life that Christ really gives to his people. Compromising leads to death. Compromising is not a peace agreement. It's a death certificate for yourself. It's not a peace treaty. It's you saying, I, I, I approve of this part of me dying. Not to, um, and it's not the kind of death that Jesus talks about where we die to ourselves. No, rather, we are dying to what is holy to accept what is worldly. And it should be the other way around. We should be dying to the world, dying to ourselves. And what Jesus says, picking up our cross and following him daily. And when we get to a place of compromise, what we're saying is, is when I accept this part of the world for the sake of peace, we fall into what I just talked about in Romans chapter 1. It's not just those who are in the sin that are guilty, but those who approve of it are guilty. Yes, Jesus ate with sinners, but he did not participate in their sin. Yes, Jesus spent time with those people, but how else would they ever hear the gospel? Because Romans also teaches us hearing comes by faith, or faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And but how will anybody ever hear if nobody goes and tells them? There's a difference between reaching out to those people and then compromising and, and approving of their sin. And now there's a whole nother message on tactics and, and, and strategy for preaching the truth in love, and we're not going to get into that today. But one reality of it is, in an ever-compromising world that we live in, we have to make a decision that we will stand firm on the rock of God's words so that when the wind and the waves come, we will not be moved. Because it looks stable, and the compromising looks like it's okay, but reality says it is on a foundation of sand, and the moment things get difficult it's going to all come crashing down. And so this church has fallen into this trap. But the good news is, is Jesus gives some solutions. Hope is not completely lost for this body. The first thing he says is, be alert. Or some translations say, wake up. First, like you have to actually take an evaluation of what's going on. And like Jesus tells us, church, on the outside you have a great reputation, but on the inside you're really dead. We need to take like a spiritual MRI of ourselves because there are times when you need to get looked at because on the surface you look healthy, you look great, but you, something just don't feel right, something's out of place. And the only way you really ever know what it is is if you go sit in this machine and go into this little tube and they look at the inside of you and find out what's going on so they can help you treat it. We, we can't really 
do anything about the problem without recognizing that there is a problem. And Jesus is telling him, he says, listen, you need to wake up, you need to be alert, because there is something wrong, and it's time for you to, to, to wake up and, and smell the roses a little bit and take an evaluation of where you're really at. A lot of people who have dealt with addictions and different things, they'll, they'll tell you the first step to solving the problem is to admit that you have one. In other words, there's an act of humility that is required, an act of vulnerability. And we don't, if there's one thing that is true about humanity, it's that we do not like to be humble. I mean, everything in us wants to guard our pride. Everything in us wants to lie so that nobody has to see us vulnerable Nobody has to see us exposed. I mean, that, if we're going to be real honest with ourselves, nobody wants to admit when something's wrong. How many times in your life have things been falling apart when somebody asks you how you're doing, you say, oh, I'm great. That's the truth of the way we live our life. We don't want that honesty with ourselves. But the first step in us experiencing becoming the church and the people that God wants us to be is we have to take an honest look and we have to wake up and be alert to the reality of who we are as individuals. He goes on to say, he, the next thing Jesus tells him, he says, you need to strengthen what remains because the works that, that you, you have are incomplete. In other words, I, I believe this to be saying you started on the right path, but somewhere you veered off to go do your own thing, like we talked about earlier. It's like at one point it started out really great, a really holy movement, a really holy, wonderful church going in the right direction, but at some point the reputation and the temptation to maintain that reputation snuck in, and they veered off the path of pleasing God to begin to please men so that for the sake of them maintaining their reputation. And Jesus is saying, you need to go back, you need to hit the reset button, and get back on the track of doing the things I told you to do, and stop worrying about what other people think. That is such a hard thing. It's so hard because it feels like we're taking such a loss when you do something like that. It feels like, feels like if you do that and, and people walk away from you in your life, you feel like you've lost something. But in reality, all you've done is gained something. But the problem is, is what we lost is more tangible and more real to us than what we've really gained because what we've gained is not, is not something we see until eternity. But what we lost is right there in the moment, right in front of us, very real, very painful, and it does hurt, and it, and it does leave scars in the, on our emotions and, and on our feelings. And it, it, I'm not telling you it's an easy thing to do. What I am telling you is it is a necessary thing to do. And you know what? You might actually be surprised that if you were to go back and if we were to get ourselves back on the right track, how many people would actually maybe even jump on the train and go with us? 
you might be talking yourself out of following God's plan with the false reality and a lie that everybody's going to abandon you. Maybe the reputation actually increases and the respect gain is so much greater than what you've ever had. But it takes that step to go back and to get back on the right track, to to get back on mission, to follow what Jesus set out for us to do and the directions he gave us. There's two more things that we can find in this scripture that he gives us to do. Like I mentioned a moment ago, this church, Jesus told them in in verse number three, he said, remember then what you have received and heard. And then he tells them, keep it. In other words, okay, go back, do the right things, get back on track. You need to go back and remember in order to be on track all those things I taught you. And this time you got to keep it. Don't just be a hearer of the word anymore. Be a doer. Get back on track, but this time around, don't abandon it. That's what he's telling them. Get back to the word. Remember all the things you've ever heard. Remember the the word. Remember the things you have been taught in in and about faith and, and get back to it. Hit the reset button. Get back on track, but this time around, keep it. It takes some endurance. It's, it's one thing to go back and get back on track. It's another thing to be able to stay on track. Because even if you get back on the track, you get a little ways down the road, eventually there's going to be an opportunity and a temptation to, oh, look, I've gained some reputation again. I've gained some people again, and I don't want to lose them. I've gotten really attached. And that temptation starts to come back up to veer again. Even if you've gone further down in the journey, it can come back up. You're not immune to it once you fix it the first time or the second, third, or fourth, or hundredth time. There there is always going to be that temptation to veer off again. And he's saying this time around you have to really remember what you've been taught, what you've heard, the truth, everything I've ever spoken to you, and this time you have to really keep it. If we don't have that commitment and faithfulness to being a doer of the word, to being faithful to what God taught us and has shown us and is showing us and teaching us. We'll never be able to stay on the track. We'll never be able to stay on the path. And finally, the last thing he tells us is repentance. He tells repentance last, but sometimes I think it really needs to be first. I don't think he gave these instructions in a particular chronological order. I think he just said, these are things you need to do. But I think sometimes repentance is the first thing we should be doing. Repentance is such a, such a misunderstood concept. I think sometimes we think repentance is just, Lord, forgive me, I'm sorry, and we move on with life. Repentance literally means to turn and go the other direction. So if the track is running this way and you've been going this way, you need to turn and you need to go the other direction. And repentance means taking ownership of what you've done wrong. So that means somewhere along the way there's going to be a moment in time when you're going to have to 
come before God and say, Lord, I've messed this, this, and this up. I really know that I have. And sometimes repentance means that you have to do more than ask for forgiveness. Sometimes repentance means you also have to take some steps to wrong or to right the wrong that you've done. We don't want to talk about that. We, but we've watered down repentance in a way that we, all we ever do is say, Lord, I'm sorry. But sometimes there are some people you need to go to and say, listen, in, in this journey of life that I was on, I veered off the track and I took you with me and I'm sorry. Or in my pursuit of reputation, I hurt you. In my pursuit of this, like repentance is one of those things. It's not just a apologizing to the Lord. Repentance is going back. And, and like you have to retrace your steps and, and, and in a sense... And you have to go back, and, and there, are, there are probably going to be opportunities and, and, and moments where you're going to have to right the wrong between you and somebody else. Maybe it's just between you and yourself. You're going to have to course correct some things. And this is the part nobody likes with repentance. Repentance. Because it's really easy to come down to the altar, to kneel before God, where it's just you and him talking. You don't have to worry about, again, your reputation. You don't have to worry about your pride. And you can just come before God and say, Lord, I am so sorry. And there are times where that really is all you have to do. Because sometimes our sin and our mistakes are just between us and God. And that's all we got to do is go to him. But sometimes... I think we forget this a lot. Uh, oftentimes, our sin affects more than just us. And so there's a process that you got to go to some people and make some things right. And then repentance means to turn and go the other way. As you go back, eventually you get back on the track, and now you have a clear path in front of you, and you can get back to doing what you were supposed to be doing the first time. Repentance can be a messy thing. It can be a real messy thing. But the Bible tells us that if you know that your brother or sister has something against you, or if you've sinned against them, and if they've sinned against you, however you want to flip it, you can take that scripture and try to twist it and turn it however you want and put the responsibility on somebody else but the reality is it's your responsibility to make right the wrong it all falls back on us we have a responsibility in our faith and so I'm going to wrap this up this morning but I just want to close with this these thoughts is we don't want to be like this church. I don't want to be a person that is like this church. I don't want to be a place that just goes through the motions. I don't want to be a person that just goes through the motions. I want real, true relationship and spiritual life for me as an individual and for us as a church. but it all starts with us as individuals. It all starts with us. So if you are in a place in your life where you can honestly acknowledge this, there's some steps we can take 
that we talked about. First, you got to really admit it. Second, you got to go back and work on some things and repent. And then you got to keep it and stick to it. This morning, will you just stand with me as we get ready to close in prayer today? Will you bow your head?